0: Welcome to The Athlete Diaries, I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. On today's episode, we have Ellie Pashley. Ellie is one of the most down-to-earth people you will ever meet. Born in Albury, Ellie started off playing lots of sports, but it wasn't until later in life when she moved to the surf coast of Victoria that she took her running seriously. Getting a coach and joining a running group helped Ellie move to the next level. It wasn't long before she was coming top 10 in marathons all over the world with a PB of two hours and 26 minutes, which is a ridiculous pace of around three minutes, 25 kilometers for a whole marathon. This helped her qualify for the Tokyo Olympics, which she would have been at now if it wasn't for COVID. Ellie also represented Australia last year in the 10 kilometer event in Doha, running a PB of 31 minutes and 18 seconds. In this chat, we speak about Ellie's journey from recreational running to one of the world's best. Some amazing marathon stories in New York, Melbourne and Japan. What Ellie's training looks like, which amazed me. The usual week, she would clock up at least 150 kilometres and sometimes at altitude. Ellie's career away from running was being a physio, which has helped her immensely in the space of self-diagnosis and what pain she can push through. Ellie is a very resilient runner and person. You don't want to miss this one. Her story shows that you really can achieve anything if you have a crack. Ellie also runs a coaching business where she helps budding runners achieve their goals. Enjoy. Ellie Pashley, welcome to the Athlete Diaries. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thanks, Guy. Thanks for having me.
0: Are you uh, Are you ready for the quick fire round that I've sort of been doing the last couple of weeks? Of, uh, I've sent you the questions um, in preparation. I don't know if you've read them. Um, if you're like me, you probably haven't read them, but um, <laughs> are you ready for them? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> uh,
0: the first first one, what's something that, that you sort of wish um, that you knew now that when, when you started running?
1: Yeah, I think I probably wish I knew just how much hard work paid off. I think I probably thought that particularly with running, there was a little bit more uh, reliance on just natural talent. So, for me, it was, it was really nice once I got into the sport to realise how much more you get out of it if you actually work hard. And Yeah, I guess I wish I knew that a little bit earlier, so I started working hard a bit earlier, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Yeah. No, it, it, that makes a lot of sense because the way I sort of see, um, like, look at you guys like marathon runners, it, it's almost like how much talent can you possibly have in the running like it seems like it's sort of the only thing that you have to have so there's a lot more to it isn't there around the way you train the way you prepare um because people look at it like oh kip chogi like look how quick he is he's just he's just quick oh he's just really good runner but they probably don't see the the work that goes in behind um closed doors is it is it a hell of a lot more than just talent
1: yeah i think so and i think particularly for the marathon above above all the other events even you you don't necessarily have to be that talented to start with it, it's all about years of um, kilometers week on week on week that sort of training and um, the consistency that you can get if you can stay injury free I think that's a much bigger part of being good at running marathons than than talent I think probably maybe in the shorter events there's a little a little more natural talent required but once you get up to the marathon it's yeah lots of lots of hard work.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be anywhere I'm going to be in, uh, in the next couple of years anyway. I think you, you run a little bit too far for me. Um, I'll move on to the second question. Who, who, who are the people in your career so far or in your life in general who's been the most influential?
1: Yeah, so the, probably the number one most influential person on my career has been Julian Spence. So he's my, my current coach and he's been my coach since I started running marathons in 2016. So we were, I moved to Geelong and I was working at a running store there and I I met a few people there, the owner of the store, Scott Nicholas, sort of got me in touch with the Geelong running community and um, tried to give me a little bit of a a kick up the butt, I guess, to get into into it a little more seriously and then I started working with Julian and we started running together just as friends but um, I sort of got to learn a little bit more about his thought process and and the way that he felt like people should be training to get the most out of themselves. And I think without realizing it, he was um, probably trying to get me motivated and get me a little a little more serious about the sport at the same time. So um, yeah, he's been the person that essentially took me from being a recreational runner uh, to, to the running that I'm doing now. And yeah, I've got a huge amount of trust in him and, and his knowledge. And that's been the big, the big uh, difference, I guess, for me in my running career. And then obviously there's my family as well. So my parents who always have supported everything we've done in, in sport and, and my husband who allowed me to sort of back off my work hours and, you know, get up every morning and go for a run instead of hanging out with him. Um, So that was, that's been really helpful as well in going to
0: the next level, I guess. Yeah, I can imagine your husband's got to put up with a, a few early, early alarms in the morning and, and waking up. So um, credit to him. And it's something that I'm going to revisit a little bit later with you is is that sort of path to becoming um, a recreational to a professional runner. Um, but I'll, I'll move on to the next question. This one sort of had a few different um, comments around it. Some of them have been funny. Some of them have been um, a little bit more serious but what is, what's probably the best or the funniest compliment that you've ever received so far?
1: Yeah, so this one, um, this was something that Julian actually said about me in an article so he didn't say it yeah. to my face um, but he said, and I don't even really know if it's true because I actually feel like I complain quite a bit but he said in the article... Uh, that I don't complain. I just shut the f up and get it done.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Which is
1: like a- I, I reckon I do complain a fair bit, but um, yeah, I liked that when I read it at the time.
0: <laughs> is he is he one of them one of them coaches as well that like he will never ever say anything good to you whilst he's with you, but then behind <laughs> closed doors in in articles he will actually finally say some good things about you.
1: Yeah, you know when, when you get a, uh, a compliment from him or a well done or something, you know you've done a good job. You've earned it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and something to finish, uh, again, this one's had a couple of different answers and uh, I've had a couple of boys answer this that have really enjoyed food from Bali and Italy so far. And what is your, your favourite go-to meal and, and what is, what fa- what's your favourite restaurant as well?
1: So I live down on the surf coast in Victoria, so there's not a whole heap of restaurants in my, in my town. Um, yep. But my favourite meal would be an open lamb souvlaki at the Aries Pub.
0: Yes, yes, very good. With a pot in hand or not? Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> a salt beer, which is a local, um, local beer that they brew there.
0: Oh, really? I've never had that. Any good? Yeah, it's really good.
1: Yeah, very oh, refreshing. really? good summer beer
0: yeah Now there's a couple of no, there's a couple of nice restaurants um down torquay way i remember there's a good little mexican place um that we went to little outdoor bit there's it seems like there's a couple of restaurants popping up and they do some nice food
1: yeah torquay is actually quite good now There new restaurants are opening all the time and there's lots of different options so um we're pretty lucky i mean they've been closed most of them for the last six months but yeah. um yeah yeah we're, we're pretty lucky really considering how small the towns are.
0: Yeah, yeah, now you're back open. So anyone, anyone listening other than well, like Metro Melbourne, hopefully we're not too far away, get down there and, and get down to some of the, uh, to the locals because you guys are back open now, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yep. Today actually um, yeah. the restaurants are allowed to start opening and I think have 10 people seated inside, so that's good. Yeah. Hopefully they can all get back on their feet. A lot of them have tried to yeah. take away as much as possible, but yep. yeah, I think it'll be good for them to be able to open up again in time for school holidays too.
0: Yeah, I know, great timing. Um, I'd, l- I'd love to take it back to a little bit of your early journey. How did Obviously, I've, I've listened to a little bit um, of, of things you've said in, in previous sort of articles and you were someone that played a lot of netball, a lot of sport when you were younger and what was your life growing up? Um, was it entirely running? Um, what was sort of early childhood like for you?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in aubrey Wadonga, and yep. I played I think in – in Aubrey, most people played netball or football. They were probably the two (laughs) big sports. And then there was basketball and hockey and things like that as well. So, um, yeah, I played a lot of netball, basketball, even swimming, water polo, touch footy, quite a, quite a range of sports throughout my childhood and teenage years. Um, I did little acts as well in Aubrey until I was maybe 14 or 15. And then I sort of just did uh, running through school. After that, so cross country and athletics um, each year when that came around. But I was probably spending more time playing other sports. And then I went to uni in Aubrey as well, so I stayed there after I finished school. And that was when I started to get back into running. I was very lazy my first couple of years of uni, and did <laughs> stuff all running. And then probably third year, fourth year, I started to to get back into it, just with local fun runs and. Yeah, a little bit of training with with a group in Aubrey when I was um, up early enough to make it, and yeah. So it probably really uh, was when I moved to Geelong in twenty ten that I that I got more into it again.
0: Yeah what what was that What was that move for? Why Why did you move from um, Aubrey over to to the Surf Coast?
1: Uh, so I was in my last year of uni, and I had a lot of placement. Uh, At Geelong Hospital, so I, my husband, uh, he had already graduated uh, from uni at that time, and he wanted to move down to Torquay and start working down here. So we moved down together, and I was still finishing off uni, but a lot of it was was in Geelong that last year. So yeah, Yeah. we kind of moved down this way to the coast, and um, yeah, we haven't we we've left a few times just to go and do a little bit of travel, but we've been here ever since
0: yeah not a bad place to not a bad place to live if you haven't visited down the surf coast it's probably one of the nicer places in victoria so you're very lucky there ellie um how, do, how does someone go from from being a recreational runner obviously you had you had a bit of talent um, playing all them sports when you were growing up but how, do, how does someone go from running five, k fun runs to to representing australia at, at uh at some qualifiers traveling the world doing marathons and then also Qualifying um, for the the Tokyo Olympics, which would have been this year.
1: Yeah, so it was it was actually a really gradual thing for me. Um, a lot of people probably think it happened fairly suddenly, but from I guess, like I said in my last couple of years of uni, I started started running a bit more, and I was running with a group in Aubrey called Vogels Vixen sometimes, and they that got me a little bit more. Uh, into the idea of training I guess I wasn't really following a structured training program but um I learned a little bit more about how that works and then when I started working at a running store in Geelong um while I was still finishing off uni and, and Scott Nicholas the owner he said to me one day that he thought I should be a marathon runner and that he thought I could break 230 if I really uh trained and did it properly and I thought he was pretty crazy because I didn't like long runs so there was no way I was going to become a marathon runner and at that stage I probably wasn't really ready to fully commit to it um but I I definitely gradually started increasing my mileage I was probably only running a couple of times a week when I moved down there and then that sort of crept up and then I met Julian started running with him quite a lot um I went overseas for a while and then when I came back I was extremely unfit like couldn't even run 3Ks and yeah, then I
0: like me now. <laughs> well, I'm sure I was
1: much more unfit than you. Um, and then yeah, I guess Julian had sort of started to create almost a little bit of a group in Geelong. So just uh, random people we started running with. We we did some cross country together for the the Geelong team in the Athletics Victoria series, and we started training together at the track on a Tuesday night. And that was when I sort of first started. To enjoy that side of it, interval sessions and things like that. And then, yeah, it was in 2016, after I think another stint overseas, and I came home and thought, right, I'm going to stop being lazy now and actually have a bit of a proper crack at running. So I, I signed up for Melbourne Marathon because I've been petrified of the marathon forever, and I'd done a few half marathons and they were horrible. So I knew that if I ran a marathon, I wanted to train properly for it. I didn't want to just uh, do it half-assed, I guess, for want of a better word. Uh, so then, yeah, that was, that was probably the turning point for me. And I said to Julian, okay, (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it properly now. Can you coach me? And he said, yep, I'll coach you, but you you have to do what I say. And I said, yes, I will. And so I, yeah, I really became a lot more dedicated from that point on and did everything that he wrote on the program and, yeah, I did my first marathon and didn't even hate it, which I was surprised about. I didn't have a. Everybody talks about the horrible experiences of hitting the wall and. Yeah. And it just, yeah, I was waiting for that to happen and it, it never happened. So I think that was a good, um, positive first experience that hooked me in for, for the next one.
0: What, what was that time, that first marathon?
1: Uh, I ran 246.
0: That's okay. pretty serious to say to say that was your first marathon to run two forty six. That's an unbelievable pace. Still, were you were you shocked by that, or were you like you knew that sort of time you'd get?
1: Uh, yeah, I probably went into it hoping to break three hours. But as as the training block went on, we did a lot of long runs with um, some tempo faster running within them, and I was getting a bit of a feel for that that pace sort of between. 350 to 55 per K started to feel quite comfortable to the point where I almost knew that I would be able to hold that for that distance and probably going just before it I actually thought that I might even be able to go a little bit faster than that but we ended up having a pretty shocking day weather-wise for Melbourne so I yeah I probably didn't I went out a little more conservatively I guess just just knowing those things but yeah I, I was definitely pleasantly surprised but I think part of me sort of felt like going into it, that that was about where I was at anyway.
0: Because you mentioned that your running style is of a slow burn. Um, So are you someone that sort of goes out, builds momentum and then storms home?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I probably, I used to definitely race like that. I was very slow off the mark, always coming last. I've got no speed whatsoever. So I've never been somebody that can take off from the gun, but as time's gone on, I've got a little more, uh, not aggressive, but I've probably changed my racing style a little bit to, to not be so conservative and to actually, I guess, just test the limits a little bit more and see what happens if I do go out hard and uh, yeah. don't sort of conserve and try to come home. But, um, yeah, definitely naturally my style is to <laughs> go, go slow and then gradually build up throughout the race.
0: You say you go slow, but like in, I'll get to it as well. But in your PB marathon time, you're nearly doing three minute Ks of for 42 kilometers. Like, I, I know some people over this time that have been challenging themselves to do 1K runs and they've been absolutely wrapped that they've got about three minute 15, they've got it down to three minutes 15. You've done that for 42 kilometers. I don't think you're that slow. Um, I think you've been a little bit harsh in yourself there.
1: Oh, if you, if you saw me try and do a uh, track session with some 1500 metre 5K runners, you'd <laughs> say I'm slow <laughs> or stride. I've kind of got one pace. Once it goes below 10K, I, I don't get much faster, no matter what the distance is.
0: <laughs> um, how does someone go from sort of doing that that um, that Melbourne marathon and then go from Couple more marathons, and then into representing their country in Doha in a qualifying series overseas against the best in the world. How did you sort of bridge that gap, and was that what was that progression like?
1: Yeah, it. I mean, it was probably after that first year uh, training for Melbourne. I got my mileage up to, I think initially it was about a hundred k's a week, and then I didn't really have any injuries until very recently so i basically yep. was just stringing together year on year of of mileage and i was increasing it gradually each year as time went on and i had a few uh i guess they were kind of like a breakthrough breakthrough races which probably put my or took my confidence to a, another level in that it i it made me believe that i was maybe in that next category up to where i'd been before so after Melbourne, I went to Berlin the next year, and I ran 2:35 in that race. Which at the time it was a Commonwealth Games qualifier, but I wasn't in the top three, so I didn't get selected to go to the Commonwealth Games. But I think I guess running that time sort of made me think, oh, well, maybe if I yeah keep going with this, then then I might be able to eventually get up to that category. And I did the I think it was the Gold Coast half marathon one year and my watch. Um, wasn't working. So I didn't know what pace I was running. I thought I was running quite a bit slower than what I actually was. And I ended up running like a four minute PB for the half marathon. And that was a, that was yeah. Another, another breakthrough performance, I guess, where I think from that I qualified for the world half marathon champs the following year. And that there were a few little events like that where I exceeded my expectations or probably ran faster than what I thought was possible for me that, yeah, they just, they gave me a a level of confidence that, um, yeah, if I (laughs) kept going and kept pushing and yeah, that maybe that next level was possible.
0: Yeah. Well, and then can you talk me through New York marathon? You're getting there. One of the biggest marathons in the world, millions of people watching, um, you finish top ten, and you run an unbelievable time like what's that moment like crossing the line in such a such a good time in front of so many people
1: Yeah, New, New York was a really, really cool experience for me. that was my oh it was yeah the, well the biggest marathon i'd I'd ever done, and actually yeah. to be honest, I thought that I'd finished fifth <laughs> so i I finished eighth, but I yeah. thought coming in, I think I was just so tired that my brain wasn't working properly and from when our pack had broken up, I'd sort of calculated where I thought I was in the race and for some reason I thought that I'd, I was in fifth position because I could see <laughs> the girls ahead of me but I couldn't see the girls that had finished first, second and third. And yeah. um, I thought Sinead Diver, who's the other Australian that was in the race who finished fifth, I thought that she'd finished yeah. second. So when I was running in the last few days, I was just over the moon with myself <laughs> And Sinead. <laughs> and I crossed the line and gave her a huge hug and said, I can't believe you finished on the podium. And, and she sort of looked at me and she was like, oh, no, I finished fifth. And then I said, oh, I thought I finished fifth. And she's like, no. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I, I was still very happy oh, with, no. with eighth, to be honest. But, um, yeah. yeah, there was a moment of realisation. I thought that I'd come top five and then I had, <laughs> had to readjust my excitement levels for uh, Right, but yeah that was that was really cool it was they said that that day there were two million people out on course watching um which is a foreign concept now a yep. year later with everything that's gone yeah, on I but know. yeah it was it was just loud and the women uh we we started half an hour before everybody else so yeah you just had once I got dropped from the lead pack I was running by myself but there were just people screaming at you from from either side of the American road fans, American hey. fans yeah they, yeah they absolutely love it so it was a pretty cool experience and when after 30k when it gets hard and you're starting to feel fatigued it was pretty nice to have people sort of spurring you on the whole way there were some Australians out on course too, tearing with flags oh, really? and signs and things yeah which was that was really cool as well I saw some of them in my in my darkest moments, sort of around the 35, 36K mark. But uh, When you needed them. When I needed them, <laughs> they were there, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Was that time, 227, was that an Olympic qualifier or was that when you got to Nagoya and you actually ran a PB and then qualified?
1: Yeah, so those two were both uh, Olympic qualifiers. So in I yeah. ran Nagoya in March last year and that was 226 and then yep. New York in November was 227 so the Olympic qualifier is two
0: twenty-nine thirty. so you did that pretty easy then
1: oh uh yeah I got a few minutes under it but it'll be it will still be a really tough team to make because there are quite a few girls at the moment in Australia that that will run the time there's four that already have it and um including myself and then there'll be a couple of others I think that get it in the next six months or so so yeah
0: Just, just quickly on that one so so this year you would have been going to the Olympics because you qualified for the time, but you're not going because obviously they've, they've pushed it back again and so you can, you can qualify again. Is that a little bit unfair?
1: Uh, not really. The, so they hadn't, our qualifying period was still open when the Olympics was postponed. So if they'd already selected the team, then they would have kept the team as was. But because they hadn't selected it, They've reopened the qualifying period from now until I think it's April next year. Uh, so all of our times that we've already run still count, which is good. Yeah. But it just means that, yeah, more people have got the opportunity to run the time. But there were a lot of race cancellations in March and April. Yeah. So some of the other athletes who would have had the opportunity to race to try and get the time, they didn't get that, that chance either. So I think, it's, I think it's fair the way that they've done it. It just yeah, yeah, it drags it out that little bit longer and um, I'm I'm willing, like I'm prepared that I'll potentially have to try and run even faster again to secure my spot yeah. depending on what times the others run. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And where would that be? Where? Because where, obviously um, there's so many races that have been cancelled. Is London still going on? Is that where you're going to try and do this, try and get an, another PB? Yeah,
1: so London's happening in... Just over two weeks, um, but it's yeah, we a different format. So it's going to be an elite only race rather than a mass participation race. So yep. I'm heading over there to do that, which was supposed to be in April. And that was going to be my, um, my last race before the Olympics to try and secure my spot. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to run, to run a decent time in London. I have had a bit of an interrupted uh, preparation. I had my first yep. proper running injury um and i missed a month of running in june so i'm going in a little underdone to london yeah. but um yeah i mean it's going to be a really fast flat course and if the conditions are good and with, there's pacemakers and yeah i mean it's probably unlikely that i'll run a pb but um i'll have a <laughs> have a crack and yeah. see what happens <laughs>
0: Well, going by your coach, anything that's put in front of you anyway, you'll just carry on and, and get it done anyway. So <laughs> it sounds like you're a pretty resilient person.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. We'll see at we'll the 32K mark when I've gone out too hard and blown a gasket. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when because like again, um, my ignorance with, with uh, marathons and the way it all works. So, there is, so there's pacemakers that go out. How exactly does it work? So there's pacemakers that go out and they run like, 10K increments and then stop? Or, and, or are they supposed to run three-minute K, three-and-a-half-minute K? How, how does that all work?
1: Yeah, so every race is different. Some marathons don't have pacemakers at all because they want it to be yep. a pure race. Um, other marathons will put pacemakers in there to try and assist people to run qualifying times or if they're going for national records, world records, etc. So London is one of the races that does use pacemakers and that's often because the, the leaders of the race are going for the world record. So yeah. what they do though is they have different pace groups. So there'll be in the women's race, there might be five or so different pace groups where there'll be two or three pacemakers for each one and the athletes um, and athlete managers all get together before and decide on the paces. So there'll be a group going for the world record. A group probably going for sub-220 um, and then a couple of groups in the 220s, depending on, I'd say in our race, the British girls will have quite a bit of uh, pull on that and then there'll be an yeah. Olympic qualifying time group as well. So, yeah, yeah so yeah. basically they just say to the pacemakers, this is the pace you have to run. For. Often it, they'll stay in for between sort of 20 and 30 Ks. They're not allowed to come in and out. They have to go for as long as they can and then pull out. Um,
0: Yes. It's the worst job ever.
1: Yeah, it's actually a pretty fun job. So I've done it a few it? times. Yeah, I've done some pacing in Japan and it's, it's good because you get to feel like you're a part of the race and you're usually running at a pace that is relatively comfortable for you, probably unless you're the world yep. record pacemaker, which I've obviously <laughs> never been. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's quite fun and everybody you've got a job so it's it's almost easier in some ways to sit on that pace when you know that it's your job and you just have to they'll tell you like you're allowed to run to 21k say and then you have to stop so yeah. um yeah it's actually quite fun I enjoy it uh, and then you don't have to run a whole you, marathon
0: I, I think <laughs> you and me we just see we just see fun in different ways um from what I can see <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> probably not everyone's idea of fun I guess
0: but. <laughs> Um, just, I know, I know a couple of um, my old teammates, um, listen to this and I don't know, we sort of, we have no idea how hard the training you guys do. Cause we sort of, even in footy seasons, like you do like sort of a 12 K session and you might do some skills after and, and it's tough, but it's, we're probably doing 15 K all up. And if we do, we do two K time trials all the time. And we sort of, if you, we run it on a track as well. So it's like 15 seconds quicker, I think track to grasp. Well, that's what, the um, sports science guys tell us. And if we finish in like under 6.30, we are absolutely wrapped. Like, and that's like three-minute 15Ks and we're wrapped. For you boys that are listening, Ellie has done it. I, I had a look before. She's finished a marathon in 2 hours 26, which is three minute, just over three-minute Ks for 42 kilometers. And we're absolutely stoked that we've done three-and-a-half kilometers on a track in for 2K. <laughs> Put that into perspective. That is incredible.
1: Yeah, I think my marathon times, it's like 320 something, so it's not quite that fast.
0: It's still, that is, that's seriously, seriously quick to maintain that for a long time. And I, I heard you say something before that's made me a little bit um, curious around how are, how are different tracks or how are different marathons? Some of them are a quick pace, some of them, some of the tracks are actually quite slow and you don't run a PB. Is it because of hills or the terrain or what's the go there?
1: Yeah, there's quite a few um, different things that can come into it. So hills are obviously a, a big one. So New York's quite a hilly course. So people don't generally run fast times there. There's lots of bridges and you run through Central Park. So all those rolling hills through there. Um, temperature has a big effect over that distance. So in yeah. a 3K or a 5K, say, you can you can actually get away with running in in heat, but in a marathon and anything over, well, I think they say the ideal temperature is around 10 degrees, but as soon as you get up wow. around 20 degrees, it actually has quite a bit, a big effect. And then over 20, um, yeah, it, it, you, you can't possibly run the same pace that you can in cooler conditions. So just with dehydration yeah. and all of those things. So, yeah, conditions can play a big part some some marathons are point to point so you could potentially get a headwind the whole way a tailwind the yeah. whole way um yeah. yeah there are a lot of a lot of factors that come into it so people generally pick try and pick if they're qualifying for something like they need to get the olympic qualifying time or world championships time then they'll try and pick the fast flat races for that which are ones like london chicago tokyo there are some really yeah. uh, renowned fast courses in the world even Melbourne's actually yeah. pretty flat but the conditions in Melbourne as you know yeah.
0: windy <laughs> extremely
1: <laughs> unpredictable in October so um yeah. yeah
0: yeah well can you can you run me through the moment that you you realize that you're going to represent um Australia at the championships in Doha and we're talking about conditions like that is that's just about as hot and humid as you get what was it like finally sort of representing your country getting that recognition and and um, running an amazing time again in, in that 10k event.
1: Uh, yeah. So I qualified for Doha. I, I didn't really I'd already run the marathon qualifier for it in Nagoya yeah. earlier that year, but we knew that it was going to be around 40 degrees in in Doha. So I basically decided that I had to try and do everything I could to get the 10K time so that I didn't have to run the marathon. Only because <laughs> as well it was within the Olympic qualifying period and I was just a little bit worried about um, racing a marathon in that heat and what it, how long it might take you to recover afterwards. And yeah. it basically takes, because you can only really run a marathon every six months with the uh, amount of time it takes to train for it and recover, it kind of took a big chunk out of the Olympic qualifying period. So I figured I'd rather do a different marathon in the second half of the year and try and get the 10K time. So I went to the U.S., Actually, not very long after I'd run Nagoya, I think it was about three weeks after, I flew to the US and did some training over there with a couple of girls at altitude. And then we went and raced at Stanford University. There's a 10K called the Peyton Jordan Invitational that they run every year in May. And it's really good conditions. They have pacemakers usually going yeah. at whatever the event people are trying to qualify for. They go at that pace and it's, it's a popular one to to try and get a qualifier but I had to get into the event first which was a little bit tricky because my 10K time wasn't that good going into it but I managed to get a spot in the race and I did that four-week altitude block before it and so I ran uh, 31.40 I think it was to get into Doha. So I ran or maybe I ran 31.43 which was seven seconds under the qualifier. So I managed to get the, yeah, the qualifying time for Doha and then, yeah, yeah went, went there in September and did the, the 10K there, which we were pretty lucky compared to the marathoners because we were in the stadium, which was open air still, but they had air conditioning in there. So they'd Oh, really? Yeah. I think it was still about 27 degrees, but they, just before yeah. the 10K, they blasted the air conditioner to try and get the temperature to drop and we raced it. 11 PM or something. It was quite late at night, yep. and um, yeah, it actually wasn't too bad. We'd done a lot of heat heat training uh, in the month or so before it, so we were pretty well prepared for the heat. But um, yeah, it was fun.
0: Yeah, thirty one thirty one eighteen. Pretty pretty quick time as well.
1: Yeah, thanks. That was actually a surprise. I I didn't think that the times would be fast just because of the heat yep. in Doha. But I think um, we ended up. Having a, a pack basically that ran on the Olympic qualifying time the whole way around, and I had no idea what pace we were going until about two Ks to go. I worked out that I was actually probably right on the qualifying time pace, and I just had to, yeah, hold it together as much as I could for the last two Ks. So that was, that was a really cool moment when I crossed the line there. I'd come, I think I came 13th, which I was, I was happy with that, but I was more um, stoked with the time mm-hmm. just because it was such a shock.
0: Yeah, it's it's an amazing time. If you had to pick one, what would you sort of rather be doing? Ten k or marathons?
1: I think I'd rather the marathon. Yeah, yeah. I mean Tokyo is yeah. going to be. Uh, I think the marathon team is going to be the harder of the two to make, and yeah. the conditions are going to be pretty, pretty challenging. It's going to be really hot, being in the middle of their summer. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think I love the marathon a bit more than the ten k, and I don't know. It's just this. So many different elements to it that it's a bit more interesting, I guess. So hopefully, I'll try and make that team. But the ten k's sort of grown on me as well over the last couple yeah. of years. So that would be a really, really fun experience too. But I can't do yeah, both because yeah. they're on the same weekend.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so if you, so, if you qualify for both of them, then you've got to choose which one you'd rather go in for. Then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So initially, oh, they're bugger. a week apart, I think which I still yeah. like you can't probably really yeah. do another event. I think the marathon was going to be first, um, but, yeah, then they moved it to there the same weekend. So yeah, yeah. you definitely yeah. can't
0: oh, do oh, both. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it'd be pretty, a pretty phenomenal effort anyway. Yeah. Can, can you run me through a little bit? of your training sort of training weeks you talked about that training block at altitude and because obviously people probably don't understand even like myself like I, I love speaking to to marathon runners and i had an ultra athlete on the show probably a couple of months ago and um it's just amazing to sort of see the way that you guys train and then also your mindset as well so what sort of is the normal week because I I know everyone probably hears it like, oh, you're going for a long run or whatever, but can you actually describe what your sort of weeks look like, how you train, the altitude training that you've done, and and sort of talk about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So basically, we run every day, and uh, often I'll run twice a day, so morning and afternoon. My weekly kilometers vary quite a bit, but so at the moment, preparing for London Marathon, I'm up to about 150 Ks a week, and I've done A little bit more in the past, but just with the injury that I had, I haven't been able to get quite back to that at the moment. But yeah, so my mileage will often hover around sort of between 140 and 160 Ks a week. And then obviously it backs off leading into races. But um, yeah, basically, (laughs) it's a lot of running. I only do two uh, sessions per week. So one of them might be intervals at the track, like 1K reps or 400s or a mixture of different distances and then I'll do like a tempo or threshold run as well later in the week so that at the moment they're a little bit longer and a bit more like marathon paced intervals but in my normal training block it might be 30 or 40 minutes at at my threshold pace Um, yeah so that's kind of the way that that's structured and then I'll do some strength training twice a week that's most marathon runners, uh, strength training is their least favorite <laughs> aspect, <laughs> but we have to do it. So um, yeah, I usually try and do that on Monday and Thursday, or if I was trying to do it on the days that I had the, the harder workouts, just so that my recovery days were proper recovery, but it, it just didn't really work with um, my work schedule and timing as well. So I just try and fit them in when I can, but yeah, usually twice a week, sometimes three if I'm extra motivated. Um, yeah, yeah, so there, that's really the main thing. A lot of it is very simple, easy paced runs with on Sunday, we'll do a long run. So I'll do, uh, at the moment up to 38 Ks on a Sunday, but, um, if I'm not in a marathon block, it would be sort of 26, 28 Ks, uh, just with, yeah, again, just easy pace. So it's, Tuesday session, Friday session, Sunday long run and then the other days of the week are just easy runs around that to top up the mileage.
0: Do you get bored? Do you ever just think, oh, geez, I'm going into another Sunday, 38K, is going to take hours and hours? What do you think about?
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely do get bored sometimes. Sundays yeah. you, you almost G yourself up for them a little more so they're often not as yeah. bad. The ones that I get bored on are more the midweek like 14K or 16K of a morning if I'm not running with anybody. I'll try to listen to yeah. podcasts or sometimes music and I run with my dog quite a lot. But, um, yeah, they're probably the boring ones. The Sundays are usually quite fun because we have a group that when we're allowed to, we, we all run together and we go and explore the trails around the surf coast. So they're not yeah. as bad as they sound. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if I had to do 38Ks by myself, I'd be very bored. I'd have to listen yeah. to something to get me through that.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's amazing sort of how you you your sort of training blocks sort of work. And one thing I really do admire about you is is that you've always um I've I've heard that you're a very good physio, but you've all, always worked and you've you've had to fit your running and your passion and your dreams around your work as well. So how have you like I, I know I've been lucky, so lucky, and a lot of other players um, have been so lucky in the fact that. You're given a contract um, in footy or cricket or soccer or whatever sport you play, and that's it. Like, that's you go to training during the day and then you come home and you're that 24 hour athlete. But for someone like you that's, that sort of started as, as recreational and then moved in, like, how have you balanced that between work and, and running and sort of become has it become harder now that you become professional with work?
1: Uh, again, I've been actually really lucky with physio. I work in private practice. So, I've been able to have a little bit of control over my hours and things to make it work so that I can fit running in around it. And when I started getting into running, I was still working full-time, which that, again, initially it was okay. Once my mileage started getting up higher, I was finding that a bit challenging just with I was just tired basically from trying to run before work, after work. So I, I very gradually cut my hours down over the years. So I. I was doing still five days a week, but I started making my days a little bit shorter first and then I dropped to four days a week and then um, three days and then now two days. I'm pretty slack these days. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I've I've sort of been lucky that I've been able to make it work and I'll start later most days of the week now so that I can still run at a reasonable hour. I don't have to get up at five o'clock. Like there are a lot of runners that, that work full time and still manage to run. The same, if not more, mileage than me, um, and yeah, Julian and I now have got a, a coaching business as well that we do called Run Strong. Yep. So that's been really helpful because I can do that. The days that I'm not in the clinic, I can do that from home, and I can just fit that in basically around my training. I can do it when I travel overseas as well. Um, so that's been really, really helpful as a way to to still have an income, but um, yeah, it be manageable with training. And it's a bit easier than physio because I'm not on my feet physically. Not that physio yep. is that physical, but it's a little more tiring than on sitting on the though, laptop. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. That's um so tell me about tell me about Run Strong then. So was it something that you always wanted to get into, coaching and, and what what do you do for people? Like is it you try to help them build up to marathons and, and have you enjoyed that sort of aspect of, of being on the other side of it?
1: Yeah, I was actually really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. So, Julian he'd started coaching a group of people um, probably after he started coaching me and and he approached me one day and just said, "Hey, I'm I'm sort of full up. I can't really take on any more athletes and I've got people asking me for coaching. Would would you be, ever be interested in in taking on some some people and just doing online programs for them essentially?" And I I'd never thought about it before, but I Said, oh, actually, yeah, that would be good. I'm, I'm happy to give it a try and see if I like it. And yeah, I immediately just loved it. And I think I'd, I'd learned so much from him over the years, probably without even realizing it, on his uh, training philosophy and um, even with my physio background in regards to loading and things like that. It was um, actually a lot more, I guess, a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable than I was initially expecting. And I also yeah. loved how all the people that, that I was coaching they were so motivated and so keen. Whereas sometimes with physio, you're sort of trying to get people moving and get people doing yeah. their exercises and their rehab, and it's it's a little more challenging. Whereas people that want to run, they yeah, they're extremely motivated from the get go. So um, I just I loved how everybody just did exactly what you said, and you know they were keen yeah. to learn and keen to do everything they could to get better. Um, so yeah, I started doing that and then we decided to make it, make it a proper, a proper company from there. So yeah, now yeah. we, we have a number of coaches that work with us as well. And it's a little tricky at the moment because there aren't any races happening, but we're trying to keep things going for our athletes. So creating some teams events and virtual runs and time trials and things like that. And then hopefully once, um, races come back, maybe early next year, everybody will be able to. Get back into
0: the swing of things there. Yeah, what an what an experience though! Like for for passionate runners to be able to to be coached by you and, and your coach as well. Like it's it's a pretty phenomenal um sort of aspiration for them to to be taught by someone that's run such good times and and sort of mirror your actual programs as well. Like it's pretty cool. Um, when I was sort of talking to um, a mutual contact in in Matty Spicer at New Balance, he was sort of saying talking about um, you being a physio and has it straight away the first thing I thought of was you probably didn't mean it for it to happen but like you being a physio and being able to almost self-diagnose when you have been feeling a niggle because that's the hard thing I, I experienced it so much in my career is the difference between a good pain and a bad pain I had no idea I was someone that literally I could have a, I I could have a, an amputated arm and I'd still be like trying to play sort of thing like so it was is it almost been a blessing in disguise that you were able to self-diagnose yourself and go I can push through this pain or no this is a bad pain
1: yeah I think um I think like you just described with yourself that's a very classic athlete mentality and and I myself am guilty of doing the exact same thing at times (laughs) even when I know like this injury that I had recently I sort of knew that I needed to take some time off and I just kept I was feeling really fit so I didn't want to lose that and I pushed it further than I I should have and ended up probably having to have a lot more time off but um, prior to that I do think it, it was really helpful and probably the best part about it is you can detect things early and potentially work out if if you're feeling some soreness somewhere you can change things right at the start to offload that area so whether it's you know, I've got some pain on the outside of my foot. So maybe I need to stop wearing these shoes and try these shoes just to alter the load there. Or maybe I shouldn't do a track session today because that's going to overload that area. So just making modifications, I guess, to my program and um, just little changes to try and try and address those things before they become an issue. Yeah, that, that was definitely really helpful for me. And with the people I coach today, I, I always make sure that as soon as they feel anything, they either let me know so that I can modify their program or, or just go and get checked out by a physio so that they can um, get onto it before it turns into, yeah, a, a very minor niggle to a more serious injury. And that's, you're right, some things, there's a lot of um, issues or pain that you can actually continue to run through and you don't necessarily need to stop and rest, but it is yeah. sometimes tricky to, to work out whether it's something that needs rest or something that was is just going to go away anyway over the next few days so yeah don't worry I think you're not alone in (laughs) in doing that with injuries
0: I think it's just a maturity thing isn't it though like I think at the start of your career when you're younger you'd sort of you don't really have that inside of like I I need to sort of give this a bit of a break and and can sort of um, have a couple of weeks off and I'll be back and I think I was sort of having this chat with um, John Hastings on this show. Is that almost when you're a lot younger, it doesn't matter what people tell you, you've almost got to make the mistakes yourself before you actually learn them. Have you found that in some of the aspects of, of running yet you've sort of had to do them yourself, make your own mistakes, and then sort of get better and then sort of help coach um, some of your clients?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think also experiencing what other people are feeling too, like if you if you're participating in the same sport at the same time, then you get to know, you know, oh, I'm, I'm getting sore here because I've been doing lots of this sort of running lately. Or, yeah. Yeah, so definitely this most recent injury for me too has been a big uh, learning experience as far as...
0: So I, what, what is it? What, what's exactly the injury? <laughs> oh,
1: I had... Um, so in my foot, I had like quite a few things going on, which I think it probably just started as a minor a minor bit of inflammation, and then I kept running on it, trying to protect different parts, so I had like Bursitis and Morton's neuroma and um, bone edema and all ten, everything was it just inflamed basically. but um, yeah, it was probably a good learning experience for me because I'd got away with a lot without having to take time off before and without yeah. anything really developing into a serious injury. Um, I thought I was a little more invincible than I was. And, yeah, like you said, sometimes when you're younger too, you can actually get away with more of that and, and things yeah. do just go away. But as you get a bit older, which I'm getting a little bit older these days, sometimes, um, yeah, things don't settle down as quickly and you have to address them and address all the, the other issues or underlying causes like strength and, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Listening listening to some of them things, I've heard of them before as well. If that happened to me, I wouldn't have tried to push through that. I would have been I would have been on the physio bed, I reckon, for most of the most of the week, um, absolutely carrying on about how painful this injury is. So I think you're a little bit more resilient uh with injuries uh, than I was. So um uh, that's uh, one thing um that came up that I obviously I was speaking to to Maddie Spicer about as well was um you signed with New Balance. Like it's a it's obviously a massive thing um, in running and marathon running that you need to wear a good shoe. How important is it and how good have New Balance been like sort of signing with them? Were they always someone that you wanted to sign with?
1: Yeah. So I, before I signed with New Balance, I already wore their shoes for training. Um, yeah. But I, I'm pretty fussy when it comes to, to shoes, to be honest. Yeah. And. I'd tried their racing shoes a few years ago and I didn't really like them I loved their training shoes but I wasn't convinced on the racing shoes and so I had a few discussions with them at that point and then they actually contacted me again a little bit later and they were like we've actually we've changed our approach a little bit to racing shoes and we've got some new ones coming out in case you want to try them again um and I said yeah of course I'd love to so they the they had some prototypes of the new marathon shoes because I think the whole um marathon shoe thing has changed a lot in the last five years. So people just used to yeah. wear either really lightweight racing flats, which I don't know if you've ever worn something like that, but basically they've got nothing to them, <laughs> so
0: it's yeah. a lot of
1: load going through your legs, or training shoes. Yeah. So I'd previously just worn training shoes for marathons because I wasn't coming from a track background, I, my legs couldn't handle the the racing flats and then um they'd come out with a new foam which was really light but they'd made a marathon shoe that had a bit more cushioning and a carbon plate in it as well which is is all the rage in the marathon world these days and yeah. um yeah I wore them I think I wore them for a half marathon first and I ran a PB straight away and I I loved the feel of them so I was already convinced on the training shoes I just needed convincing on the racing shoes so yeah then yeah. I I messaged Matt straight away and said, yep, love them. Just run a PB, sign me up. Um, yeah, that's been a really fun process to be a part of actually. I think, again, with my physio background, I'm quite interested in, in footwear anyway. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I've been able to, to try different shoes for them and give them feedback. And with the 10K as well, I've had the opportunity to try some spikes and, and racing flats as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, I I think it does make a big big difference when it comes to performance the footwear and yeah I'm I'm very very happy with what New Balance are doing at the moment. They've got a new pair of shoes as well that I'm going to try in in London in two weeks really? as well. So ah, yeah,
0: nice. What are, what what shoes are they?
1: So they're called the Fuel Cell RC Elite. So it's their yeah. their new marathon racer, which is yeah, just like a lightweight um, but cushioned carbon plate shoe. So.
0: Yeah, it's fun. so essentially New Balance pretty much made a shoe for you.
1: Oh, no, they didn't make it for me. They
0: <laughs> pretty much <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely not what happened. They just had some developments happening, and it was lucky that it was around the time that I was in discussions with them anyway. Um, yeah. and yeah, they I think they were working with some of their runners over in the US on these new shoes at the time, and they, they I was lucky enough that they sent a pair over. me to try at the same time as they were doing that so um yeah it wasn't made for me but i'm certainly reaping that's what i'm going with anyway i'm
0: going with i'm going to look out for the ellie Pashley shoe i'm um, not that special I'm (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm always really really interested to to hear um what runners what marathon runners ultra athletes have to say around mindset like your mindset is so incredible because like you said you get to 30k And then you start to struggle, but in that period of actually, um, and this is just racing, like this isn't even training. Like I'm sort of talking about, like you get to zero to forty two k. It's a long time. Um, Like, how do you sort of what? What's all your mindset going into it? Like, are you someone that like really really struggles during the whole thing, or are you someone that sings to yourself? Or during races, during training, getting up, how do you sort of motivate yourself, stay motivated? Your mindset, like I'm always really really curious around that.
1: Yeah, the marathon is a fairly, uh, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster, to be honest. So yeah. because it's such a long way and the pace that you're running should actually feel really comfortable for at least the first half. Um, so Julian ha- is, has always said to me that you have to sit on the couch for the first 30Ks or 25 yeah. to 30Ks. So that means just sitting in the pack, staying relaxed, um, I've had a few instances of like getting a bit too excited and going to the front of the pack and pushing the pace and, yeah, silly things like that. But um, <laughs> ultimately I try to stay really relaxed for the for the first bit and and try to minimise energy loss. So if you're at the front leading, then you're probably using quite a bit more energy than the people that are just tucked in at the back, protected from the wind. Yeah. So the first half I try to zone out, I try not to think too much about uh, what's going on other than, yeah, keeping relaxed and not getting too stressed about anything. Cause there's a lot of like at the drink stations, there can be a lot of, um, argy bargy and often people will fall over and pushing and shoving and things like that. So trying to keep out yeah. of that as much as possible. And then it, it gets pretty, gets pretty tough. So depending on how the race is going, you can start feeling bad at any point in a marathon. And and if it's before twenty Ks, then it's a very tough uh, run home. But if if you feel good until 30 Ks, then I, th- I think it's actually not not too hard to get yourself through the last 10 K anyway, because you know once you start feeling bad, you know that you you don't actually have that far to go. So the idea is that you want to feel good until sort of 30, 32 and then and then the fatigue's going to set in, and, and you, you can start pushing at that point, and yes, give give whatever you've got left. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I really used to to get me through. I think each marathon I've I've learned a few things, and you you sort of know you get to know what it feels like, and you know that you can get through it, even though your legs start to feel like two slabs of concrete that don't want to move. <laughs> If you can, I usually focus on for the last probably six or seven Ks just my brain telling my legs what to do. So, you know, lifting your yeah. knees and pushing back and trying to maintain your form as much as you can because once that gets sloppy, you're obviously wasting a lot of energy as well. So um, yeah. that's where my mind tends to go at the, at the end and I guess thinking about all the training that you've put in and some of those hard sessions is is often good motivation to. Uh, to get through that last bit as well. Another tool that I use is I picture, so you say I've got five Ks to go, I'll think about like when I run from home, the point of my run, which is five Ks to go to home. And I'll think like, oh, I've only got to run from, you know, the dam back home, or I've only got to run from the start of this track home and try and sort of relate it to, to other things, yep. which, yeah, I, I actually find that quite helpful. But I think, I think everyone's got different tools that they use. To try and mentally get through that last twelve uh, k's or so of the marathon.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds like it sounds pretty similar, um, like marathon running into a lot of sports. In, in in the fact that when you speak to when you speak to some really really good good players or really good runners about when they're at their best, and they always say the exact same thing, and you know exactly what I'm talking about is that you don't think about anything, and you're in a rhythm. So is that what you're striving for straight away? Like whenever you're playing your best or whenever you're running your best, I just feel like you actually don't think about anything. You're just like in the moment, you're in a rhythm. Is that something you're trying to do straight away? He's like, all right, first couple of K, I want to settle in behind. I just want to chill out, relax. And is there a way that you do that?
1: Yeah, I think um, in running, we probably... I guess, refer to it as being in the zone, which is when you're having a good day, that is, it does, yeah. it feels effortless and, and you can stay relaxed. You don't have to think about what's going on too much. Um, I don't know if there's any tools that I really use to try and get into that mindset at the start. I think it's something for me that either happens or it doesn't. And it probably yeah. depends on, yeah, a number of things going in, but you, you have those days where it is, it does just feel easy, um, and then you have days where from the, from the start it's quite a a grind, and and you can do little things to try and <laughs> get yourself into the zone when it's feeling not so good from the start. But it's it's a pretty yeah. challenging um, challenging thing to do. But yeah, I mean the the main thing I think of early in a race is uh, some cues to try and relax different parts of my body. So Julian always says to me. About just dropping my shoulders, holding elbows at ninety degrees, keeping my arm swing really relaxed. um, You know, looking up and straight ahead. Just, just little things like that to sort of keep keep in check. And they can be helpful as well as you start getting tired later in the race. But um, yeah, to be honest, I think it's either it's either a good day or it's it's not a good day. And in the marathon, you're going to go through patches, good patches and bad patches. Even on on the really good days, it it does get hard in, in different parts. So uh, one thing that I've really learned over having done a few of them now is that even if you're having a bad patch, you can, you can come out of it and not to get stressed, I guess, if you get to, you know, 23Ks and you're feeling pretty rubbish, um, you know that if you just relax a little bit in another 5Ks, you might start to feel good again.
0: Yeah. So... I wasn't going to ask that question, but now, now it's actually um, sort of sparked me up to sort of s- say like for someone, um, the general public that, that wants to maybe run a marathon one day and they're just sort of getting up to 5K, 10K, what's your advice to them to go, it is, is, it, is it possible? Do you need a lot of talent? Is it something that you can really improve on? Is it something that everyone can do or is it something, a marathon that's something you've got to give a lot of time to and a lot of training to?
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm a big believer in in the idea that anybody can do a marathon. I think um,
0: yeah.
1: my advice to those people would just be to to be patient and keep gradually plugging away because the best thing you can do to get yourself to the point of being able to do a marathon is is just get training happening back to back to back. And you don't have to run big mileage to do it. I mean, the only reason that we we run so much and so far is because we're trying to achieve a certain time or you know trying to be able to run at a certain pace for a marathon but if your goal is just to to do one and to finish it then you you need to train and you need to run and probably the the most important part of training is is going to be getting out for some longer runs to get your body used to being on your feet for that amount of time but um it's certainly achievable for anybody and it's just yeah probably Staying injury-free is, is the, the tricky part. So whether you, you follow a structured program where you're getting enough rest and recovery and down weeks to absorb the training um, and also building up very gradually, that's probably the most important thing you can do and, and try to plan it in advance. So don't, don't decide that you're going to do one in three or four weeks. Give, give yourself <laughs> six months to, yeah, to build your way up to it.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, anyone listening? There you go. That's that's your advice, and and even for myself, I don't think I'm going to do. Oh, it you're going to do a marathon? Too, if, if, I don't think so. My my old man, he does um he does hundred k runs all the time. Like he does like Has three he? or four of them a year. Yeah, he's a bit of a nutcase. And even when I the, the speaking to the guy um Lee Grantham on on this podcast a, a while ago, like he sort of talks about running marathons, running fifty k, like it's nothing. I'm like will I ever get there? I'm like, I went for a run the other day and did 3K and I'm like, yeah, since I finished sport, I'm not really enjoying running very much. I was never someone that really enjoyed it, um, running. So that's why it just really interests me to sort of see people like you um, that do these long runs and do runs 150 kilometers a week and then like does these runs because that's what used to get me, the mindset of it. It was just, I used to get bored. That like essentially, I used to just not really enjoy it. So yeah, like it's,
1: yeah much more a lot, enjoyable a lot, a lot people like that because I used to be like that as well i didn't like training really? yeah i didn't like I liked running I liked racing, but i didn't like training. I used to think it was boring i didn't really understand why people did it other than that racing was fun but I think if you getting people to run with makes a big difference and yeah. that was what I found when I moved to Geelong and I met this really good group of people that enjoyed running and it actually became an fun social thing as well. But also if you stick to it for long enough, it gets less painful and less boring. And your body just yeah. gets used to it and it becomes um like now for me the thought of yeah, to go out and run twelve or thirteen Ks is is really not a drag at all. Whereas like long runs are still a drag sometimes. But um
0: yeah,
1: yeah it 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 changes. The more you do the the easier it
0: gets. For sure, it's a pretty incredible story for you. Like, you've gone from Albury playing so many different sports and then moving to, a, moving to a new city in Geelong and finding a running group, end up being a recreational runner to be to representing your country and then would have been at an Olympic Games probably right now. Like, it's it just shows you that if you do have a passion and a dream, like it's something that you can work towards, um, to achieving it. Like, it's you've got an amazing story there.
1: Oh, thanks, Guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's that amazing. I think <laughs> there are a lot more amazing stories than that. But um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think with particularly long distance running, if you if you want to do it and you just plug away at it, you can make huge, huge improvements. So um, yeah, it's yeah, anyone can do it. Wow.
0: Yeah. Oh, away from off the track, is there anything that you really? Um, try to do for your well-being are you someone that um tries to get away from um from running and and sort of speaking about running are you someone that really is is in depth with it and loves sort of watching it speaking to people are you someone that tries to get away from it
1: uh yeah i probably don't try to get away from it as much anymore i think because i do love it so much now and it it's such a big part of my life that um yeah it essentially most things that i do revolve around it i don't have a a lot of time i guess to do other other things anymore but i've got yeah. a i've got a lot of friends that aren't aren't into running that i've have been my friends prior to this so yeah socializing yeah. with those guys is always always good because um yeah we don't talk about running and it it yeah. yeah you realize that there are other things in life because i definitely can get wrapped up with spending all my time with the people that i run with and And thinking, I think as an individual athlete as well, um, you have to become a little bit self-involved in a way, which it's not very nice. But if you want to to be good at what you're doing, you do have to constantly be thinking about, you know, am I getting enough sleep, or you know, can I go and do this social thing because is it going to interfere with my training? And yeah, you know, should I be having those extra beers or whatever. So <laughs> you do have to actually be thinking about yourself and, and your health and well being all the time, which, um, it, you know, it's, it's good in a way, but I think it's nice to get away from that as well and, yeah, particularly when you don't have a race coming up to be a bit more relaxed and spend time with people that don't run and hear about normal, normal life things as well to bring, it, bring you back down to, down to earth.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's so funny how many athletes actually talk about that. Like they love having that sort of friendship group away from sport that they can just get away and not really have to speak about it. Is it? Is there anything that you do um, for your mental well being um, or mentally um, for, for running in general that you do away from um, actually on the track?
1: Uh, not really. I'm not. I'm not great yeah. with that, to be honest. Um, I mean, I take my dog to the beach. That's probably. My uh, my meditation, but uh, Joe, my husband, always tells me that I should do some the mindfulness and meditation. But I'm a bit, uh, I'm a little bit too amped to, <laughs> to relax yeah. enough to do that. I think, which <laughs> probably means I really need to do it. Um, but yeah, I just I just like going to the beach. That's probably my my main way yeah,
0: of nah, getting no, wh- whatever from it. works. I, I I know that you you also say that you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not. Not whatever or, or anything, but you are very modest in the fact that you come across to me as a very resilient person that'll just push through things. So sometimes I've I've found that that some people like you they actually don't need a lot of that in their life. They just have a few things like going down to the beach that that might be a little a cue to switch off a little bit. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you, but that's that's sort of the um, this is sort of what I'm I'm sort of saying.
1: Yeah, no, I don't know if anyone really has said that to me before. Um, yeah, I think I'm sure there'll be there'll be times where I do need to focus more attention on that or if yeah, if my performance isn't going well or yeah, you know, then I I'm sure I'll be looking into some ways to to manage the mental side of things, but yeah, at the moment I'm just sort of happy running and ticking along doing what yeah. I'm doing.
0: That's awesome. And what is what do you sort of like to do to get away from um get away from the running track is there is there some hobbies that you like to do other than being a poker specialist <laughs>
1: um oh yeah not really i don't it's a bit sad to say that i don't really have any other hobbies i've got a bike i ride my bike sometimes i um yeah yeah i just like going out for breakfast and dinner with friends yeah. and and going out for, for drinks in the afternoon when i can and yeah just i guess socializing is probably probably the main thing i like to do outside of running but other than that i i don't have a lot going on so
0: so what's his what's his poker specialist um (laughs) game that you what do you do you just go go around to mum and dad's or family's house friends and just steal all their money
1: yeah well mostly um through lockdown joe and i were just playing poker with each other each night because we didn't have anything else to do and yeah i stole all his money so I've got all of our um combined finances is now mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just spend it the way you want to. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what it's good actually. I can use it now whenever I want to buy something like. oh remember how all the money is mine because I want it all in poker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um Ellie, I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's been it's been an awesome insight um into into the your story but also into into the life of a of a of a runner and and, a, and an amazing marathon runner that's got some incredible um, times ahead of you and i'm sure that all the listeners can't wait to sort of keep their eyes on um, the next event and the next qualifiers and and hopefully to see you in tokyo next year because that's where you deserve to be and um i'm really looking forward to, to watching you
1: uh thanks guy yeah thanks so much that was a fun interview and i feel very flattered to be asked
0: What an amazing story Ellie has. So modest and easygoing, she really was so easy to speak to. Her training blocks were something that really amazed me and how she changes up her training so she can keep up running over 150 kilometers a week with motivation. I can't wait to watch and cheer on Ellie in Tokyo next year. If you don't already know, episodes will be released on Tuesday nights at 7.30 p.m. on YouTube and Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. for audio listeners. Let us know if you have any questions and have a great week.